0: Coming up on the KetoCam Podcast, we bring on Dr. Ashley Lucas.
1: We need to make a metabolic shift. And in that, we'll probably see that it becomes more efficient because it's working the way that it's supposed to. So that's what we do is we shift how we eat, when we eat, so that we can be for fat-burning machines, you know, so we can tap into that ability. And when we do that, that's how we're able to put type two diabetes into remission. That's how we're able to reduce high blood pressure in a matter of days. So that's not from losing weight, that's from creating this metabolic shift.
0: I'm the best-selling author of Keto Flex, and I want to thank you for spending part of your day with me. Hey, Keto Camper. Thank you for pressing play today. I really believe today's conversation is going to change your life. We went deep into how the metabolism actually works, the difference between burning sugar and burning fat. You're going to hear from Dr. Ashley Lucas. She has a PhD in sports nutrition and chronic disease. She's also a registered dietitian. You'll hear about her story of being a classical ballet dancer, getting injured all the time, being undernourished, and what transpired. We're going to get into the whole calories in versus calories out BS movement. (laughs) stay tuned for that. We'll also get into the importance of inner before you exercise and why so many people have the best intentions to get healthy, to lose weight, but they keep sabotaging themselves. That might be you. And this episode is going to change the way you live your life. It's going to help you break that pattern for the better. We also get into fat. And what I mean by fat is how do fat cells actually work? And how fat cells secrete specific hormones, which messes up with your leptin and ghrelin balance. How fat cells release aromatase, which creates higher estrogen, lower testosterone, not good for men or women. How fat cells secrete cortisol and interleukin-6, which is an inflammatory cytokine, leading to cravings, leading to problems, how that leads to high deaths with COVID. We also get into addiction- and what exactly is happening with addiction, the benefits of visualizing the healthy person you want to be, the body weight you want to achieve. We talk about what to do if you're traveling and you know that you're not going to be able to stay on course, how to deal with that. While we don't like the word cheat meal or cheat day, instead we love feast meal, feast day, and how we could take that one meal, enjoy it, and then get right back on course. So I really enjoyed this conversation. You're going to also hear about her PhD weight loss method, an acronym called HALT. She unpacks that. It was fantastic. You're going to love it. Sit back, enjoy it. Whether you're driving to work, driving home from work, uh, walking your dog, washing dishes, maybe you're exercising, maybe you're just sitting in your office listening to the show today. Thank you. (laughs) Super grateful. If you're new, welcome. We release three new episodes on the Keto Camp Podcast every single week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 6 a.m. Eastern Time. There will be a new episode in your podcast inbox. I want to take a minute here to get to the Apple Podcast rating and review of the day. This is a five-star review from Swiss Nancy titled, Ben is the Best. Here's what Nancy said. Ben, thank you for sharing your intense knowledge and in helping myself and others on our keto journey. Your podcasts are my go-to. As I know, I will gain more knowledge and more tips. Swiss Nancy, thank you so much for listening. I'm glad that the Keto Camp Podcast is your go-to. There's so many podcasts out there and you chose us. So thank you. And for you listening, you chose us too. So thank you so much. If you haven't left the Keto Camp Podcast, a rating and review on whatever platform you're listening to, please do so right now. Hey, maybe I'll read your review on the next episode and give you a shout out. And we would really appreciate it. It really helps the show grow and reach more lives. I also want to remind you that we have our 90-day detox program almost at capacity. We have a few spots left. If you want to work with me for 90 days to really understand true cellular detox, to get rid of heavy metals so you could thrive and reduce cell membrane inflammation, I'd love to work with you. It's a small group, and I will teach you the way. I will hold your hand and guide you through this. So head to ketocampdetox.com if you want to learn more. Hopefully, you hear this on time. We only do this three times per year. Head to ketocampdetox.com and I hope to help you on this detox journey. Okay, let's have an awesome conversation with Dr. Ashley Lucas. Dr. Ashley Lucas, founder of PhD Weight Loss. She has a nutrition doctorate, registered dietitian. She comes to the field of nutrition for weight loss and wellness with a unique background. Dr. Lucas spent the first 25 years of her life participating in the rigorous training of her professional classical ballet career, which you'll hear about. She also earned her PhD in sports, nutrition, and chronic disease from Virginia Tech and is also a licensed registered dietitian. Here's Dr. Ashley Lucas. Dr. Ashley Lucas, welcome to the Keto Camp Podcast.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: It is my pleasure. And also, my audience is going to love you. I just loved studying you for this episode. And I think my audience will get a lot from this conversation. So We're going to get into some cool things today. We'll get into your PhD weight loss method. We'll get into some cool acronyms you've created. We'll talk about mindset, inner sizing versus exercising, something I love. I love studying and teaching. Before we get into all that good stuff, let's talk about your story. Growing up as a ballet dancer, share a little bit about some of the challenges you had and uh, what transpired that led you towards the path that you're on right now.
1: Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, overall I look back at it all and it was a great experience and I'm glad that everything happened the way that it did, but I had some challenging times. I, I started training as a classical ballet dancer when I was really young and it's pretty rigorous and we, it's a unique sport because it has such aesthetic demands placed on it on top of the physical And so I think I know it requires a certain body type to really do well in the field, at least back then as it was then. And I didn't have that. And I constantly fought was, you know, struggled to make my body do what it needed to do. It just naturally didn't want to go that way. And so as a result, I was injured all the time. I had major stress fractures in my back. I had stress fractures in my feet. And I believe it's because I pushed myself to do things my body didn't want to do. And then I was chronically underfed. Mm -hmm. I was told that I was fat countless times, despite really watching what I ate. I remember counting the number of fat grams that I would eat in a day thinking less is better. And I had days, I'm sure many days because I was very disciplined where I was like five grams of fat a day. And I thought I was doing wow. really well and still not at the body fat percentage that I needed to be for my sport. But because I'm a bit obsessive in whatever I have a passion for, <laughs> I had a pretty successful career. I danced across the country with different companies. I got to meet great people. and it it, it formed this work ethic and discipline and taught me what passion is. But my body it just it didn't fit what it needed to. Um the accumulation of my career was when I was invited to perform up in New York City. You know, everybody's dancer, every dancer's dream to go up there. And so I was so excited, but instead of finding myself in the spotlight in these once in a lifetime performances, I found myself in the ER. I I didn't know what was happening. I thought I was having a heart attack, maybe like multiple sclerosis. Um, But after a whole bunch of different tests, the neurologist came back saying that I was just underfed, over-exercised, and that my body just could not do it anymore. Um, and that was a pivotal point in my life. It might not seem like a big deal, but to me, it was 20 plus years of struggle and sacrifice that just came at me like a tidal wave. You know, I, it was my identity for any of you, you know, who are athletes out there who that's all you've done. That's all I knew, uh, you know, college, college undergrad, my, um, high school, I went to boarding school, uh, you know, uh, when I was in high school at home, I would only be in high school for three hours. And then I was dancing the rest of the day. So I was not wow. a, a normal person. <laughs> so it was just everything. And I had to, I had to stop before many people would have said that I made it. I felt like a failure. I was afraid of my health future. I still had no idea what was going on and why I felt the way that I did. And so I really had to take some time, and it was a a lot of struggle in those years to figure out what I wanted to do and where I could put my purpose and passion. And I understood how significantly nutrition, or really lack thereof, impacted my sport performance. I really believe that my career would have been longer and met with significantly less pain if I had known then what I know now about nutrition. And so that's how I ended up in the field. I went in and earned my PhD in sports nutrition and chronic disease. And I studied exactly that. I wanted to understand the energy metabolism behind what happens when we chronically undereat. eat. Mm-hmm. You know, what does that do to the body? How do we optimize our body fat and our body composition and get it where it needs to be without undermining our health and our metabolism? So, so that's what I focused on. And then there's also this other aspect. It's not just about the metabolism and what and when we're eating, but the habits and behaviors behind it. Yeah. You know, the the mental and emotional component. So I studied that as well. What do we need to do on a behavioral aspect to make sure that the healthy changes we're trying to make are sustainable.
0: So important.
1: Yeah, I think that is the most important aspect.
0: I'm with you 100%. I, and I love that's what you studied and you teach along with you know how to eat, how to change your behaviors. You said something really interesting. You said you identified with the sport you were competing in, the, the ballet, we'll call it a sport. You identified with it. And it was a challenge for you to leave that identity behind and create a new identity. Now, the question I want to ask you here is, when you work with patients now, do you feel like people are identifying with their disease, with their diabetes, with their cancer, and it's hard for them to give up all they've ever known for the last 10 to 20 years? Is there something that they're identifying with their disease before they can make that change?
1: So much. 100%. Yeah, we create these stories within our mind where we think it's actual truth when it's not. It's just a story. It's our identity, what we believe it to be. But if we can change that and change the story, I really believe that dropping weight is a process of letting go. Letting go of excess fat weight, but also all of the emotions and the stories that are tied to it. So that's a huge component to making sustainable change. So I I get what, what our clients are going through in all aspects.
0: Yeah. And I've been there myself as well. And you also said the metabolism. You were fascinated by the metabolism. You do a really good job at teaching how the metabolism works. I know a lot of people will go on on Dr. Google, for example, or YouTube University, I call it, and they'll look for ways to speed up the metabolism, or why do I have a slow metabolism? I, I think that's kind of a wrong way to look at it. I want to get your viewpoint. Is it should we focus more on a metabolism that is efficient versus inefficient versus speeding it up or, or slowing it down?
1: I, um, I'd say our focus needs to be on creating a metabolism that reduces inflammation. We need to make a metabolic shift. And in that, we'll probably see that it becomes more efficient because it's working the way that it's supposed to. So that's what we do is we shift how we eat, when we eat, so that we can be for fat-burning machines, you know, so we can tap into that ability. And when we do that, that's how we're able to put type 2 diabetes into remission, That's how we're able to reduce high blood pressure in a matter of days. So that's not from losing weight. That's from creating this metabolic shift.
0: Exactly. And when you focus on the inflammation, the metabolism becomes more efficient. And and that's what a lot of people who teach health and nutrition, especially within the fitness side, they fail to acknowledge that. They're focused on calories. They're focused on a calorie deficit. And Mm -hmm. I do believe calories matter, but I don't think they're what's important. They're more of a distraction. They're not talking about cell membrane rigidity, cell membrane fluidity, how the hormones connect to the receptor sites, which is what you're referring to. So let's relate the conversation to those who are doing keto now who are wanting to get fat adapted. You have a great analogy. I saw you give a lecture from 2018, I believe it was. You had an analogy of somebody burning sugar glucose versus somebody burning fat. And they could be in ketosis or not, but let's say somebody burning fat and being in ketosis. What was that analogy? Do you remember it?
1: I do remember it. So let's see. It's pulling it up from a while ago. But <laughs> yeah, so, so generally, we are carbohydrate or sugar burners. And I'm going to use carbs and sugar synonymously because they act in the body the same way, really. It doesn't matter if we're getting our carbs from steel cut oats or from gummy bears. I mean, the similarity in what we're burning is there. So let's say that um, we are a carbohydrate sugar burner and we're that way, the, the majority of us, because of how we've been told to eat, right? I went to, you know, after I earned my PhD, I actually became a registered dietitian and I completed my dietetic internship. I wanted to be this true expert in weight management. and I thought that was the road, but I was taught all of the same conventional wisdom of eat less, move more you know, get your six to 11 servings of grains a day. Oh my gosh, if I did that, I would be a ball of inflammation. Me and there's too. No way. Yeah, you know, you have a genetic predisposition to store fat really well, Ben. So you, you there's no way that you could do that and maintain your optimal weight. So anyway, um, that's why we primarily all come from this carb sugar metabolism um, because of the messages we've been ingrained with. And so when we're carb burners, I want you to imagine that it's like a wood burning stove, you know, this wood burning fireplace rather. So, you know, for this wood burning fireplace, you have to shove wood in it all the time or else the flame goes out. It's smoky, it's dirty, really don't want to be next to it and breathe it for very long because we know that that smoke might cause cancer. It's just kind of nasty and the energy is not endless. You keep having to work to push stuff in there. That's like us when we say we have to eat every three to four hours. That's really bogus. The only reason why you need to do that is because you're running out of the energy of the sugar and you need to keep fueling that sugar to keep your energy up. Um, And so that's just like when you're burning carbohydrates for fuel, you have to eat every three to four hours or you don't feel well, you secrete a hormone called insulin, which is a really high inflammatory hormone that links to fat storage. You know, if you're, you have high insulin, you're going to be storing fat because it flips off the switch to burning fat. You can't do both efficiently. And it's also, we know that free radicals are a byproduct of carbohydrate metabolism. We know that free radicals are linked to a whole host of negative health consequences. So that metabolism is just like this wood-burning fireplace. It's not optimal. Rather, if we can teach the body how to burn fat for fuel, I want you to imagine it's like this propane fire. The energy is in this tank, it's much more endless. It can go for hours, maybe even days. Um, There's no negative byproduct. It's the same when we burn fat for fuel. Nearly every cell in the body prefers to burn it, but we just don't let it with how we eat. We're flipping off the switch for most of us to burning fat and, and we just have all of our fat stores locked away. And we're just burning this exogenous glucose, sugar, carbs that we're eating throughout the day. and We never tap into that. So, so that's kind of ha- how I got to those analogies.
0: Hey, Keto Camper, I want to just pause for a second and tell you about my favorite drink for metabolic health. On this podcast, we talk about the importance of metabolic health, metabolic flexibility. Well, this is called good idea. And it is a great idea if you're trying to reduce blood sugar and keep your insulin levels in a healthy range. It has zero calories, zero sweeteners, and none of the junk ingredients, and it tastes like a lightly sparkling water. I call it a functional sparkling water because it has been clinically tested and shown to reduce blood sugar spikes after a meal. It contains a blend of amino acids and chromium picolinate. Together, they slow gastric emptying and increase insulin sensitivity, allowing a steady release of glucose in the bloodstream where it can be transferred into the cells for fuel. It also contains zinc and potassium as an added benefit. They hooked you all up with a special coupon code. So all you need to do is head over to goodidea.us and apply the coupon code BEN, that is B-E-N at checkout at goodidea.us. I'm going to drop that link in the podcast notes along with the coupon code. All right, let's get back to this episode. Most Americans, it's estimated that 88.2% of Americans at least are sugar burners. They're metabolically inflexible. And it's exactly what you described. You have to eat every two to three hours. And if you don't, your energy levels drop. If you skip a meal, oh my gosh, you are hangry. You're not fun to be around. Uh, Dave Asprey calls it hypoglybitchy when somebody skips a meal and they are a sugar burner. But when you're burning fat, now your metabolism is flexible. Okay, glucose, the glycogen stores are running low, but now you could switch and you have all this body fat, which is the stored energy, and you have access to it. And you start burning that, you start mobilizing that. And if you eat carbs low enough, if you want to get into ketosis, that's what you got to do. Then that fat sent to your liver, your liver produces ketones and it fuels the brain and you feel really awesome. Now, you don't have to be a fat burner in order to be in ketosis, but if you want to utilize the benefits of ketones, you could do that. Uh, which is a, a method I like, but I like kind of going in and out of ketosis. I would love for you to describe the difference, though, between visceral fat and subcutaneous fat and why some people are sugar burners. They're eating every two to three hours, but they look very lean on the outside. What is going on there?
1: Yeah. So let me explain what visceral fat is and how it works. So what happens in our lives is we have trigger these triggers and these triggers are different for each person. So if I to ask you your story, you know, I, I would ask you at what weight you looked and felt your best. If, if there was a weight before you started to put on the excess fat weight that you let go of. For some people, there's this clear point in their life where they can tell me, yeah, this is what happened. And oh my gosh, after this happened, I would eat the same way I did in the past, but now the weight just started to pack on. Yeah. For some people, they'll tell me, I have no idea where I'm supposed to be. I've, I've always struggled with it since I was a young kid. And that means they, they just have a predisposition to store fat really well. It's some genetic kind of situation and their body is different than the average individual. And if they eat like a quote unquote normal person or naturally lean person, they're going to find themselves significantly overweight and obese. So anyway, we go through these different scenarios and we start to accumulate this excess fat. And after some time, this fat specifically starts to accumulate in the belly. So this visceral fat isn't the stuff that is, like you said, subcutaneous. It's not the fat that you can pinch or melt or have sculpted or sucked It's this fat that actually fills up the organs. So it fills up, say, the liver, for example, but all of them, to some respect, fills up the liver, it wraps around it, it squeezes it tight, and it acts like a straitjacket. This fat gets in the liver. This is when you have fatty liver. This is what we're talking about. But even if you don't have fatty liver, if you carry fat in the belly, you're going to have this visceral fat in there. So it might not just be to a really, really high level, but it's not where you want it. So you get this, this marbling. If it, let's say, um, if I took a slice of your liver, you would, it would look like a ribeye beef steak, right? Can you, if you can, guys can imagine that it goes through the muscle wraps around it. So after some time, this fat, this excess fat weight um, grows its own blood vessels and it starts to secrete its own hormones. And you know that it's one objective is to get fatter as fast as possible. That's all it wants to do. It has its own agenda and there is nothing stopping it. I look at it like an entity in and of itself and it has demands, desires, urges. It will wake you up in the middle of the night and send you to the fridge to eat something. So I just think it's really important to understand that that the weight gain isn't necessarily your fault. It's not that you, you know, um, have a flaw in willpower, personality or a lack of willpower it's hormonally driven by this fat mass that is hungry and just wants to grow. So I look at this visceral fat like a tumor, right? And I know that the hormones it secretes causes hunger, makes you feel not full when you should feel full.
0: So it creates like leptin resistance and messes with your ghrelin levels, yep. That's
1: exactly right, yep. Makes you have wicked cravings and there's no willpower in the world that's gonna help overcome that craving. It's like that sensation after you've eaten a big meal and you're standing in the pantry asking yourself, what can I eat? But why the heck am I standing here? <laughs>
0: yeah, I've been there for years.
1: Yeah. It just doesn't make sense. And I was there when I was dancing. I was just thinking about food all the time, mm-hmm. but all I ate, like I said, was, was carbs. I was just always hungry. And so I also want you to imagine that if you have this excess fat weight, let's say you eat this big meal, the majority of that energy or calories in a sense, it's kind of pummeling in to feed the fat first. So you're nutritionally starved in there, which is another reason why your brain's like, you haven't gotten the food, you need to eat more because the energy you do co- that is coming in, it's not really recognizing if, mm-hmm. if you kind of visualize that. I um, mean, it also makes you lazy, this fat mass, because the last thing it wants you to do is go expend a ton of energy. So I'll hear clients come in and say, gosh, you know, I, I'm, a la- I'm lazy. But then I hear about their past where they were athletes or they were active and that, you know they love being active so they are not lazy they're just hormonally not in a place where their body wants them to go out and expend and run or walk you know and so we've got this thing in there and all it wants to do is grow in men it secretes a hormone called aromatase which takes your testosterone and converts it into estrogen so i'll see men all the time who just have all this weight in the belly and the chest and the throat area which is indicative of a high estrogen and i know without seeing their health profile, that they have high blood pressure and sleep apnea just Mm -hmm. because of where and, you know, and high estrogen, just because of where their fat is being accumulated.
0: And for for women, what happens to women who have that same problem?
1: Yeah, same thing. It secretes aromatase, which increases the risk for breast cancer significantly. Yeah. Yeah. So it does. It messes with every aspect of our body. I think it's really interesting too. Um, You know, I've, I've shared this story and this concept of visceral fat for many years, but I think that it's coming to light a bit with everything that's happening with COVID. Um, so we know that you know 77% of people who die with COVID are obese. We know that you're more likely to have severe COVID if you're struggling with excess weight. And this is the big reason why. It's the visceral fat. So another hormone that visceral fat secretes is called interleukin 6. And interleukin 6 is this really inflammatory hormone. It's the main reason why you're at increased risk of heart disease and cancer when you're carrying around excess weight. It's this interleukin 6. We know, you know, with COVID that for some people we get this cytokine storm. And the cytokine storm is an increased secretion of interleukin 6. And then these cytokines talk to the visceral fat and tell them to secrete more interleukin-6. So it's this this huge cascade of inflammation, specifically of interleukin-6 that's causing all of these issues. So I just think that that is really interesting and shows the idea this concept that visceral fat is a mass, it's an organ, it's an active thing that we really don't want if we wanna feel our best, so. Yeah.
0: Yeah, well said, and you know, conversations like this should be on mainstream television. The government should be talking about what we're talking about here. So for those listening and those watching on YouTube, share this with somebody, share it with your friends and family. This is a very important conversation that you're not going to see on your, your TV station. You're not going to see on the news tonight. It just it's forgotten, unfortunately. So what's, so? let's say somebody is listening or watching right now and they're like, that's me. I'm waking up in the middle of the night eating and I'm hungry. I'm eating and I'm hungry and I'm overweight I've tried doing keto. I've tried doing this. I've tried doing this diet, but I keep yo-yoing back and forth, back and forth. What is the first step for them?
1: So I'm going to give you more than one step. But the first thing is to recognize why this yo-yo is happening. And a big reason why is because um, it's likely that you've only dropped a portion of this excess fat weight. So let's say you've got 80 pounds of excess weight on your body and you're like, okay, I'm, I'm going to drop 50. I think at 50... I'm going to be in this pant size I want, I'll be able to do X, and and that's good enough. Well, at 50 pounds down, you're going to feel a lot better, but you're still going to have 30 pounds of that excess fat weight that's active metabolically working against you. So your risk of weight regain is really, really high. It's like you've shaved the top off of a weed and you've left the root and you know what's going to happen if you leave the root. So the first step, I would say, is to really understand the importance of fully collapsing the fat mass and getting the body truly where it needs to be for your frame. It's not BMI related. You know, everybody's different in how much muscle they carry and bone density, but it really is figuring out that sweet spot. And most people, if they haven't struggled with this forever since they were young, have a sweet spot. For a lot of men, it might be where you were in high school you know, you know um, a lot of men in college gain, start to put on a lot of weight. So that's okay if it's when you were in your 20s and you're now 70. Who the heck cares? As we age, we're not supposed to get fatter. We actually tolerate fat less because fat is toxic as we age and become a bit more fragile. Um, so I don't know where that came in that, that we think it's okay to get fatter as we age, but it really doesn't serve us
0: no it doesn't and you you said something fat is toxic so when you were going back to what you were saying about fat cells getting bigger and communicating and and spewing all these nasty cytokines and hormones etc well I know that the number one priority for the human body the innate intelligence is survival right and the solution to pollution is dilution so you have the you know at you have nasty fat you're probably eating bad fats you probably have toxins coming in and the solution to pollution is dilution. So the fat cells are going to increase and they're going to get bigger to dilute that toxicity that's happening, which is interesting because I see that all the time. So you're saying, all right, first find out what your ideal body weight is. And do you pay any attention to body fat percentage at all? Yes. Okay. So what would be like a general rule of thumb that you would like for that?
1: Yeah, I'd say for most men around, you know, 16 is pretty lean, 16, depending on your age, 16 to 20% would be max. So a good one, 18% body fat for most men. Mm -hmm. And then for most women around 26 to 28% body fat puts you in a, a sweet spot, not definitely not too lean there, but where you got a little cushion. So if you do pop up a little bit, say over the holidays, it's cool you know what to do and you can get back down into that sweet spot. But that's where I've found most people feel their very best and can maintain with much more ease.
0: Yeah. I remember when I was 250 pounds, I was 34% body fat. And and I was extreme when I lost the weight. I went all the way down to 6% and it's not sustainable. Yeah. And it wasn't healthy, (laughs) but I was like, not focused on health. I was focused on more like weight loss and getting lean. Different conversation. But yeah, I went from 34% down to 6% in nine months, which is rapid, rapid weight loss. And I don't recommend that for most people. Okay, that's great. So identify what your goal weight is, your body fat percentage is, and go do your body fat. There's free methods out there. There's cheap methods out there. Don't pay t- too much attention to the, the scale. Don't pay too much attention to the BMI. Focus is then on body fat and how you feel. What are the next steps after that?
1: I would say the next step is to get accountability mm-hmm. and to get support. You know, statistics show that 95% of diets we do on our own fail, and the majority of us regain all the weight we've dropped within about six weeks. For some reason, we've got all this shame and guilt wrapped around weight loss in society and society and seeking help. Often I'll hear, well, I should be able to do this on my own. That's bogus. It's, it, it's complicated. There's so many misconceptions out there as well as to what we should and shouldn't do. And I look at finding someone for outside support, like an athlete hiring a coach. You know, you would think that an athlete, if they're recreationally active to Olympic level, if they didn't have a coach, you would think that they were a fool, right?
0: Right. And
1: and there's no way that they're going to, to be able to optimize and be the best at their sport. Well, this is no different. It takes an outside perspective to figure out what's going on. Say if you plateau, or if you're hungry and you have a craving, there's a reason behind that symptom, and it's very hard to pinpoint that when it's yourself. You know, just Mm -hmm. I I think any business owner, you know, should have a coach if they really want to go the next level. So you can get an outside perspective on what maybe what you could shift, not that what you're doing wrong. I had a client say. It wasn't what I was doing wrong, but it was it was what I wasn't doing right. Mm. And there's yeah. a difference there. Um, and so I really think a- accountability is the biggest thing. Someone to support you so you don't have to feel like you're doing it on your own.
0: So you have a coach? You have a business coach? I do. Yeah. And does your coach have a coach? Yes. Yeah, there you go. I have a coach too. I have several. And you want your coach to also have a coach because to your point, every Buddy, who wants to be successful, whether it's with your health or business, needs to have a coach. I agree. And their coach should have a coach, which is a good sign as well. So that's fantastic. And you have what you've coined your PhD, My PhD Weight Loss, which is myphdweightloss.com. What exactly is that method in a nutshell? And you also have a great acronym that I saw you speak about called HALT, if you could unpack that a little bit.
1: sure. Yeah. So, okay. So what we do at PhD, we are all of this in an intensive program. And so we step one is figure out where our clients need to be to fully collapse their fat mass. So we measure visceral fat and body fat percentage, listen to to their story and really figure out where that sweet spot is. Then we customize a meal plan to figure out exactly what you need to be eating. When all of that stuff. So the science behind what and when you're eating, how much. We do create a metabolic shift in the body. We're not necessarily keto. I think it's fine. I think some people really benefit from it, but other people don't have to be in ketosis to get the benefits. But we can play with our carb tolerance level and really figure out where is that level so that we can be this propane fireplace, this, you know, we can burn fat, feel good. So there there can be a spectrum of it. And so that's what we finesse and play with regarding the meal plan. And then we specifically like to provide 85% of our clients food. And there's no cost associated with the food. It's just a tool to allow everybody to make change in a baby step fashion. So the foods that I, we use, I handpick and make sure the macros are right where they need to be so that we can break sugar addiction. There's no withdrawals we do it in a really easy way when usually it's very challenging and painful. So um, most of breakfast or all of breakfast, most of lunch, snacks through the day can come from us, but we always give you your own food options too. So you're never dependent on it, but it's just the first step. And then dinner usually is gonna be that meal that's on your own. So you become an expert at one meal at a time. Through the process, we gradually release the foods that our clients have been using from us. So they're never dependent on it, but they can see motivation and success. You know, most of our men drop three to five pounds a week, most of our women, two to three. So they're seeing movement. They feel in control, totally empowered of their food choices. We can break that sugar addiction if they have it. And then we move on and practice lunch and breakfast and snacks. So by the time we get the body where it needs to be, um, the, the individual is totally self sufficient. So every week, our clients have weekly one-on-one coaching, either in-person or we have a really amazing nationwide at-home program. So we, can, we are serving people all over the country. Um, so weekly one-on-one coaching where we talk about nutrition, but from an unconventional viewpoint, right? No calories in and calories out talk, but really what's going on? What do you need? And then we alternate that with a lot of cognitive behavioral work. Mm -hmm. Understanding that there is habits, behaviors, that mental and emotional component, changing your story, creating a new identity right now and living in alignment with it, you know, sabotaging thoughts and triggers and how do we overcome it? Because it's a huge component of it. I'd say 80% of weight loss comes from the mental and emotional aspect. So every week we're working on that. And then um, we get, you get to maintenance. So once we fully collapse that fat mass I was talking about, release the foods, that's when it's time for maintenance to begin. And maintenance never ends with us. It's, it's free. It's forever. Um, I think that's where the work is to be done, you know? And, and so if you, you pop up, it's no problem. We can error correct early on and, and get you back where you need to be with no problem. So, so that's kind of how we
0: work. I love it. It's great. It's a holistic approach. It's a multi-therapeutic approach, which is important because you're looking at not just the food you're putting in your mouth, but the thoughts that you're thinking. And I agree. Most of your results are going to come from your thoughts. Uh, Dr. Wayne Dyer said, when you change the way you, you look at things, the things you look at change. And 90% of the, those thoughts or the subconscious mind, I should say, is kind of running 90% of the show. And we have these paradigms, these behaviors that are running on autopilot. And I want to get to that. But before I do, there was a question that popped up as you were explaining your your protocol. And for those listening and watching, if you want to learn more about this protocol, it's myphdweightloss.com, which we'll drop a link down below. You have a physical clinic in Asheville, North Carolina. But like you said, you also have a nationwide program. So you don't Mm -hmm. have to actually be there. You could do it virtually. The question I have for you is this. When we talk about... Weight gain, the process of the fat cells expanding and spewing these nasty uh, toxins and hormones and chemicals, et cetera. Insulin resistance, type 2 diabetes, we know that we have a big problem. Do you think sugar is leading to this problem more than vet, like PUFAs, polyunsaturated fatty acids? Which one do you think is worse? The vegetable oils, I know they're both bad and it's kind of hard to get one without the other, but if you had to choose one, which one do you believe is worse?
1: You know, that's a really tough question, Ben.
0: I know. <laughs> I have my answer, but I want to know yours.
1: Yeah, you know, I mean, I see the impact of dropping sugar and letting it go and how we can transform in big ways by just doing doing that. But what comes first, like what has created the havoc and the issue with the cell not being able to function right? Probably the poofas and, and the vegetable fats. Oils and inflammatory fat. So perhaps that is what originally causes the damage and doesn't allow the body to tolerate other things. And then we grow the visceral fat and we get stuck in cravings and food addiction. So that's kind of where I'm going with that.
0: That's a great answer. I agree. Uh, I think they're both bad. But if you think about eating, let's say you had some cake or you had some ice cream, you could go do some squats or exercise, kind of burn off that excess sugar. But if you had a whole plate with vegetable oils, uh, linoleic acid, that's going to stick around a lot longer than the sugar. You can't really burn that off. The the research I looked at, the half-life for linoleic acid in our fat cells is about two years. Two years, meaning if we just got rid of it today, all the linoleic acid, the damaged linoleic acid, in two years, half of it will still remain in our fat cells. So I agree with you. It's much more damaging to get into linoleic acid, but realistically... They usually come together packaged in a, in a box. So we want to mm. avoid or limit both. So great answer. I know it was a tough one.
1: Yeah, that ratio is difficult. I had my omegas tested not that long ago. And I really don't eat much from a box. Not. I really try to avoid vegetable oils. And my omega-6s were still too high. So it's... I don't know where they're coming from, but somewhere.
0: Did you test blood? Is that what you did? Yes. Yeah, blood is different than the than the actual like. Uh, you have to do a biopsy to get a real a- accurate measurement of what's in your no, fat. People, yeah, and most people are not going to do a biopsy, but blood just shows what's circulating in the bloodstream. I, I interviewed Dr. Kay Shanahan; she explained that to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not necessarily what's in your fat. It's for some reason, it was in your blood at that time. So let's get to the the thoughts and how thoughts become yeah. things because I love that. I love this uh, topic actually. I love talking about this more than I love speaking about like keto and fasting and health. You mentioned that we create stories. And I learned this through, uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with landmark education. Do you know about that? Yes, I do. Yeah. So I did landmark, changed my life, did the whole curriculum. And this is where I really got that we all create stories. And if we are creating negative stories, this thinking, thinking, why not just change the story, change the pattern? So could you dive deep into these stories? And how do we create better stories that are going to serve our health and our future?
1: Yeah. You know, I read in a book that you only have to tell yourself um, something, a, a criticism 50 times before you created a neural pathway. <laughs> you know, so we just get locked in, in into these stories, into these emotions, if it is coming from our past and trauma and not that they don't feel real or have been real, but we get stuck in our past because we just keep reliving that story.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, We create that identity like, um, you know, I'll just hear certain comments, I'm never going to get under 180 pounds. Well, we know that that's not, I'll ask, you know, the client, is that a fact? (laughs) That's not a fact, that's a story. And so in order to be able to bust through that, if we just use that as an example, um, you have to be able to visualize that that ideal weight, where you're headed. Again, it you know everything that I've created comes from an athletic background, and so if you think about an athlete, let's say an Olympic level downhill skier, you see them standing up at the top of the hill. They've got music on, they're closing their eyes, and they're moving their body so that they're picturing and visualizing that perfect run, and then they enter into that and they and they execute. Well, that's the same thing that we have to do when we're making any kind of significant change and weight loss is a significant change. And so oftentimes I'll just sit with a client and they cannot visualize or imagine or feel what 160 feels like. Their body's never going to get there. And so we'll just start in five pound increments, for example, and I'll ask them if with all their senses, if they can feel what 155 feels like. Mm. What does it look like? What does it smell like? What are they wearing? Make it real and I swear the next week they won't have, you know, um known that they changed anything. And they'll be at 155 in a week. And then we'll do the next one and we'll move down. And so it's just changing that story that yes, I can be at 145. I'm not going to be fat forever. That's not who I am. It's not my story. There's also so much fear wrapped around losing weight. And I don't know if this was your experience or not, but there's fear of failure. There's fear of if it goes too fast, there's fear of success because what the heck are you gonna do in this brand new body? You gotta be really courageous to be open to getting there. And I think for a lot of people who drop weight and regain, they haven't done that emotional work. The body can go down physically in weight, but if it's not accompanied by the mental and emotional work, that weight loss will not stay. Yeah. And they can go at different speeds. I've seen them go at different speeds where people will drop weight faster and then the emotional side has to work up to it. But yeah, it's got to happen. You know, I, I sat with a fellow last week and he's done amazing, has dropped 140 pounds. Wow. Yeah. And he's got about 40 more to go. And he goes, you know, I'm just so bummed, you know, I'm just disappointed in myself because before Thanksgiving, or, you know, it was like six weeks ago before six, over the last six weeks, I've not dropped any weight. Like I'm just stuck. I think it's done. I'm never going to, you know, it's just now it's at a Peter and I'm, it's just terrible. So I looked at the math and he had dropped in six weeks, about like 24 pounds, I was like, last week was one, but every week's not going to be a huge week. And so this is totally a story you're telling yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and and what is the fear in, in getting below? There's something there that you've got to overcome mm-hmm. to let the body go and let your mind accept the fact that your body is working hard for you and it's doing amazing things. And so you need to have compassion toward yourself. And just be able to see the reality there that you you're doing amazing.
0: Yeah, I, lo- I love that. Love that you do that work with your clients. It's very similar to like a money mindset, somebody winning the lottery, right? So many people win the lottery and they're broke, in fact, bankrupt several years later. There's a high percentage because they never fix their money mindset. They in your example, they're not fixing their health mindset. They're they're not fixing what's inside. So they'll lose the weight and then gain it back or and or there is uh, in their subconscious mind, they have created something that if they get to that goal weight, something in their life will no longer occur. Meaning for me, I remember my mom loves to spoil me. So she loves Fat Ben. right? She wants to cook for me. She wants me to eat all all her food. And I was subconsciously sabotaging myself because I knew that if I Lost the weight, I would stop eating all that food, which would disappoint my mom. But I didn't realize this was happening until I kept going back and forth, back and forth. So, is that a perfect example of kind of what we do in our subconscious mind?
1: Yes, exactly.
0: So, we can't figure that out by our own. That's why it's important to have a coach and and guide you through it. Sometimes at night, right before bed, my mind is just racing. I have problems that I need to solve, ideas I want to put into action, content I want to create. And I know you can relate. The mind just keeps racing, but I wanted to calm down for some sleep, quality sleep. One of the things that I did to really overcome the mind racing at night is two things. Number one, something called a mental dump. It's not as gross as it sounds. I would just write down on a piece of paper what's on my mind. So if it's a problem, I'll write it down. If it's an idea, I'll write it down. I'll take it from the mind, from the brain, to a piece of paper. And then I combine that with the second solution, which is taking a high-quality magnesium supplement. And they're not all the same. For me, it's Magnesium Breakthrough. And since I have implemented Mag Breakthrough, now I have no problem falling asleep. These two solutions work really, really well. Unlike other magnesium supplements that might be giving you maybe one to two forms of magnesium, Mag Breakthrough contains all seven forms of magnesium designed to help calm your mind help you fall asleep stay asleep and wake up refreshed over 75% of the population is magnesium deficient and what most people don't know is that even when they're taking a magnesium supplement they could still be deficient because they're not getting all seven forms this is where mag breakthrough is the ultimate way to give your body all seven forms in one supplement for an exclusive offer to all Keto Camp Academy listeners, head over to Magbreakthrough.com/slash KetoCamp and use the coupon code KetoCamp10 at checkout. You'll save 10% off this all natural full spectrum magnesium supplement. We'll drop the link down below in the podcast notes. That is magbreakthrough.com/slash ketocamp and the coupon code is KetoCamp10. So here's how I teach keto. I teach using ketosis to downregulate inflammation, experience the amazing benefits of burning fat, getting keto adapted. And then at some point, we flex in and out. We go in and out of ketosis, which I believe is much, much better than long-term ketosis. I'm not a big fan of long-term ketosis. So I recommend what are called keto flex days, which is the title of my book, Keto Flex. And these are higher carb days. But I always emphasize that we, we are feasting on this day. We're not cheating. So can you talk about, and I know this is something that you care about as well, the negative connotation behind that word, a cheat day or cheat meal. Yeah,
1: I, I do. I hate that term. It's just such a negative connotation. It, it makes you, first of all, full of shame and guilt that you ate that food when you're not going to be eating it that often and you should just enjoy it and feel good about it and be able to move on. This is a lifestyle. And so you're not cheating. Cheating signifies that you're doing something to gain good for yourself. And my question is, what good are you gaining from cheating on yourself with your nutrition? Nothing. You're, you're just going to feel bad about it. And, and eating is not about feeling bad. Mm-hmm. It's about fueling your body and feeling empowered and confident in your choices. And so I would say that the majority of the time you're following your lifestyle because it makes you feel good. And it's a form of self-respect to eat a certain way. It's not deprivation. It's not restriction. It's what serves you most, you know, and gives your body and your mind what it needs. And so if once in a while you have something like say your flex day, that's not a cheat day. You're just, you know, and for for you, that's a part of your lifestyle. So it's not even, you know, and, and for us, if, you know, they're eating, uh, a client is eating a food that they know their body just doesn't tolerate well, well then eat it, enjoy it. It's not a part of your lifestyle, but it's cool because you're not perfect,
0: Mm -hmm. you know,
1: and and then you move on and you get back to eating the foods that make you feel your best. So yeah, that cheat day connotation is just terrible.
0: Yeah. So is that how you coach people let's say they are like hey i'm going on a, on a trip i'm going to italy there's going to be amazing pasta and bread is that what you say like enjoy yourself and then when you get back you just stay right on course is that what you coach yeah, them with? I,
1: so i explain it like a buffet table so mm-hmm. I'll, I'll explain that let's say you, there's this big buffet table in front of you and there's all these different foods and i explain the different foods say starchy veggies uh, corn and peas and grains all your crackers bagels cereals Pastas, that's on the buffet table.
0: Standard American diet.
1: <laughs> yeah, we could say that. I guess all those things. Yeah, uh, flavored sweetened yogurt, um, desserts, uh, fruits are on the buffet table. So uh, wine, alcohol is on there too. So the buffet table is just something that you don't frequent. The d- dessert buffet table, you don't go there with every meal, right? If you went and you ate a dessert with every meal, well, you know what would happen, and your addictions would come back. So what we need to figure it out, figure out for each person is how frequently can you take a trip to the buffet table and feel your best, you know? And, and so that's how we're looking at it. So if someone said, I'm going to Italy. I'd say, well, you're going to make sure that you, you know, you visit that buffet table and you enjoy yourself, but you might not do it still with every meal, maybe, you know, every other meal or something like that. So, th- so that's how I look at it. it's not that there's good foods or bad foods. It's just, how they interact with your body and viewing them in that way, you know. And some people might be able to go to the buffet table frequently and and feel fine, yeah. but others it induces cravings and hunger. And before you know it, weight gain that visceral fat comes back, and we're locked in that that big cascade of unfortunate events.
0: That's great. Yeah, I love that analogy of the the buffet table. Something that is also not misinterpreted but often forgotten is. There's also a health benefit So let's say it is like Thanksgiving dinner or, or whatever holiday you're celebrating and you're with friends or with family. And even though that meal, it's not really aligned with your new lifestyle, but you're enjoying the heck out of it. You're laughing with your family. There's no restrictions. You're just, this is great. A great night of dinner. There are health benefits to enjoying yourself. We, you know, we don't want to live a long life and lose the quality of life. But what about the benefits that we're having with our social environment? That's very important for humans, isn't it?
1: Huge. Yeah. Relationships and community togetherness is key. And we know that it increases feel good neurotransmitters and dopamine and serotonin. We know cortisol, if we have high levels of that stress hormone, we're going to, you know, store everything. It doesn't really matter what it is. So yeah, I, I find that weight loss stalls when we beat ourselves up. We, so we've just got to let it go. And know just that we're doing our very best, but then also not make excuses or procrastination. So it is kind of finding that balance there, but enjoying food with family and friends and and having celebrations is really important.
0: And this is a great mindset because then you take that one meal and then you forget about it and you're right back on track versus, oh my gosh, I messed up last night. And then Mm -hmm. one meal turns into two days, two days turn into two months and two months turn into two years. It's not good. I always say it's never about the setback. It's always about the get back. And sometimes setbacks are really just setups for something great, something that you can learn from and expand.
1: You know, that's what we tell our clients who, if you know, they experience a, a bit of regain, there's no shame or guilt in that at all. It's right where they need to be in that moment. And it just means that there needs to be more practice and awareness and more yeah. growth. And with that, those regains or relapses, in severity and frequency. And we just practice. That's it. Yeah.
0: That's it. Well said. Here's the last thing I want to end with. And I think this is going to be valuable for the audience to kind of put the pieces together of this conversation, your HALT acronym. Could you just go over that? And for those listening, take notes here. And this is kind of going to give them a general overview of what to do as we leave this interview.
1: Yeah, so it's just understanding those different aspects of what can be common triggers of overeating or binging or when we might get into trouble. So it's just important to understand when you experience these different aspects to be aware that they can be a trigger. And if you do experience that, you want to halt and you want to just take a pause and bring yourself back to the present moment. So oftentimes, for example, if we're hungry, Um, that can throw us off. And we know that this is going to be a big trigger for us. If we're angry, you know, if our emotions are just totally out of whack, we might find ourselves in the pantry eating something to calm us down. If we're lonely, that can be a big reason why we might trend to overeat or binge. And if we're tired, that is a big kind of trigger point for a lot of us where we only have so much Energy to make decisions through the day. So, oftentimes we'll find clients at the evening meal, it's it's their hardest meal because they're so tired. They're like, What the heck? Just give me some kind of feel good food. So, if you experience any of these, that's what HALT stands for, then you just want to take a step back, take a few minutes, bring yourself back to the present, look at your surroundings. You know, Um, as simple as, okay, the color of the chair I'm sitting on is white, you know, The, the carpet is brown. The desk is brown, you know, just really simple, bring yourself back down, take a break, and then really think about, bring yourself back to that mindfulness of, am I really hungry? Would a jar of peanut butter really help this situation and make me not angry anymore? If I eat this bag of Oreos, you know, am I not going to be lonely anymore? What do I need? And if you sit there and you're mindful and you're aware and you just take a moment You'll you'll likely make a different decision.
0: It's great, yeah, I love that. So HALT stands for hungry, angry, lonely, tired, and rewind that as you unpack that really well. Where else can the keto campers go check you out? Your website is myphdweightloss.com. Where else can they go to find you?
1: Yeah, we're on social media. Um, to follow me, it's underscore Dr. ashley lucas or um, PhD is just at PhD weight loss. I have a free ebook right now that you can download on the website at myphdweightloss.com and talk a lot about all these things and visceral fat and provide some simple strategies and things to eat to make some changes in big ways. Yeah, and then we have offices in, in Asheville, North Carolina, Greenville, South Carolina, Charlotte, and then Durango, Colorado in New Mexico. So we're all over, but we have a really great nationwide program as well where we serve people all over the country so we're having a lot of fun just making big impact just like you ben it's
0: awesome we're gonna put all that down below rachel will put it together so all the links down below go check out dr ashley lucas go check out what she's doing on our social media i want to acknowledge you for your awesome work and what you're doing for the world it's so needed i love when i have conversations with somebody who's not just teaching the metabolism and the nutrition part which is great but you you really get the mindset part, like the inner sizing before you exercise. And I love the multifactorial approach that you take. So you're doing really great things with your community. And thank you for coming on the show today.
1: Oh yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: I hope you enjoyed that conversation. I really believe it was super valuable because we didn't just talk about the metabolism and keto and fat burning versus sugar burning. We talked about the mental six-pack, which you know is so important. Please share this episode with somebody you know who you believe could va- get value from the conversation like this and go check out the work Dr. Ashley Lucas is doing. We're going to put our website or social media down below. And uh, please leave this show a rating and review on Apple Podcast or whatever platform you're listening to. It really helps the show grow and reach more lives. If you're getting any value, please do so. Another reminder for our 90-day detox program, if you want to learn more and potentially get registered for it, head to ketocampdetox.com, ketocampdetox.com, camp with a K. We'll drop a link down below, and I hope to have you in the program. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the entire episode of the Keto Camp Podcast. I will see you on the next one.